Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. Okay, day before, day before Christmas. Again, not the day we believe the chances are it was in the fall, and that's okay. Doesn't matter. Don't get hung up on it. Okay, a <laughs> um, lot of uh, tradition in this time of the year and the various activities that we participate in. People get upset with some of that stuff. It's it's just tradition. It's not right, and it's kind of like let it go. It's not important. I mean, look at Randy's jacket. <laughs> okay. Um, that is true. That is, and, and the grace involved in that. Again, brothers and sisters, to think of God in the glories of heaven. I mean, man had already blown it. I'm the kind of person that, look, you blow it, it's your problem. I don't have to deal with it. I got to deal with my own, you know. But uh, God, instead of just saying, uh, He actually became a man to live the life that none of us could live, so that He could be the sacrifice that would pay for sin. And not only that, He rises from the grave, and then His Spirit does the work that brings us to the point where we go, Oh man, I need that. Otherwise, we'd all be like so many that are out there today. Eh, I don't believe in God. Who needs him? He's for crippled people. Thank God that we're crippled and that we see it. Uh, normally on Christmas Eve, we deal with the readings out of Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And I've been doing that for so many years. You can ask Pastor uh, afterwards what he likes to speak on on Mother's Day. He does not like speaking on Proverbs 31, Okay. And so after years of speaking on the Christmas story, I expect you all are going to be looking those up and reading them a little bit later, whether it be today or tomorrow. Uh, didn't figure we needed to do it twice. And so I decided to deal with uh, the wise men. Um, par part of the reason is, is, again, tradition. You got your nativity scene. Who's there? Well, we got the angel. We got the lamb. We got the cow. Uh, we got baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, and the wise men. And we all know, right, they weren't there, okay? So I figured let's take a look at what's actually going on. Now, you'll notice there's no underlines in your outline today. And the reason is, is I'm going to give you so much more information, I figure you needed to be writing some of this down and therefore didn't need to fill in an under, uh, a line also. So uh, when we uh, consider the wise men, uh, title is Wise Men Still Seek Him. Uh, beautiful song my wife and I have sung in the past. And uh, if she was here, oh, who knows, we might have done it again. But uh, this is part of a, uh, in essence, a three-part message on uh, the kingship of Jesus Christ. Uh, because, see, not only is he God come in the flesh, but he is a descendant of David, and he is going to be the ruling king of a future, uh, of a kingdom that is presently unseen, but it's there. And someday he is going to return 
and make it a seen kingdom. So uh, we're going to look at two of the things that prove his kingship in this morning's message. Uh, Letter A, under the testimony of the Magi, we have the arrival of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So, uh, this is probably several months after the birth of Christ. How much time? Not a clue. Okay, Uh, notice in verse 11, when they had come into the house, they're not at the nativity, they're actually living in a house. After the uh, survey that required everybody to return to their family's hometown, uh, people went back to where they were living, and so now there is room, not just at the inn, but we can rent an apartment. And so they're in a home, and uh, that's where the wise men show up to. Uh, Jesus was circumcised in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. That would have been eight days after his birth. Uh, Mary had completed the purification process and offered two turtle doves instead of a lamb. Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 to 8 gives them that permission, indicating that they were poor. Okay, now, if you remember, the three wise men, and again, we don't even know if there's three, but that's tradition. Uh, The three wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay? If someone had just dumped a pot of gold in your lap, would you be passing yourself off as a poor person so that you could save some of the money? Well, I recognize in this day and age, yes, a lot of people would, but... Why do you think Mary and Joseph were chosen for the task at hand? Because they were people of integrity and they were going to do what was right. Okay? So uh, they don't have the gold yet. Uh, They are poor. Uh, It says here that Bethlehem of Judea, the word Bethlehem, of course, most of you know that Bethlehem means house of bread, which is interesting when you think about it because what did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Okay, Um, we also see that this is where Rachel was buried, all the way back there in Genesis 35, 19. Ruth married Boaz in Bethlehem, Ruth chapter 1, verse 22, and chapter 2, verse 4. David grew up in Bethlehem, 1 Samuel 17, 12, and 15, and later Bethlehem is called the city of David in Luke chapter 2, verse 4 and 11. You might remember one of the battles that David was involved in. Uh, The battle is not won yet, but he's sitting there in the evening thinking, boy, it would be nice to get a cup of water from the well at Bethlehem. And a couple of his mighty men said, that's what we can get him for Christmas. Well, maybe it wasn't for Christmas, but they broke into the town, unbeknownst, and they got some water from the well. And they bring it back to David, and they go, hey, we got you some of that water. And he goes, And he pours it out on the ground. He goes, I could not drink it because it would be equal to drinking your blood. You just sacrificed so much. I appreciate it, but yeah, I I can't do that. So uh, Bethlehem's a pretty important town for our story. And then, of course, Herod the king. This is the Herod that is called Herod the Great in other places in the Bible. He is the first of several Herods mentioned in the New Testament. He was actually the 
pro-curator, pro-council, whatever, of the area in Galilee at one point. And then uh, the Parthians invaded, and so the Romans basically had to back off for a little while, and then they came back, and he was involved in getting rid of all those Parthians. Now, I don't know about you, but we have... Hittites and Perizzites and termites and all those ites, you know, and it's kind of like, who on earth are the Parthians? I had to look it up. They're the Persians. They're what we would uh, see as Iran at this particular uh, juncture. Okay, they had even before zero, uh, before one AD, they had uh, moved over, taken charge of things, and they had to be kicked out of the country. Uh, that is part of the reason why you need to know that is because that's part of the story as we move along here. Okay, so uh, not only does he uh, take care of the Parthians, but uh, he is notice uh, letter B here, uh, letter C. He is appointed king of the Jews in 40 BC by Octavian, even though he was an Idumean. Idumeans are the Edomites. Okay. Uh, he's the last known Edomite, uh, from what I've been told. I have no idea. There could still be some Edomites out there. But read the book of Obadiah, okay? Uh, understand that God hated Esau. Uh, when he said that, he didn't say, you know, I kind of love Esau, but I really love Jacob. No, he said, I love Jacob. I hate Esau. And if you think there's that comparison of love in there, Read the book of Obadiah. God did not have any appreciation for the Edomites. And uh, so Herod is an Edomite. He's declared to be king of the Jews. He was cruel, merciful, jealous, suspicious, afraid for his position and power. He had killed his brother-in-law, his wife, his mother-in-law, two sons, and a third son five days before his death, about the year, uh, a year after Jesus' birth. Okay? So he got rid of anybody who might take his power from him. Sounds familiar. I'll leave that one up to you. Number two, knowing that no one would mourn his death, he had the most distinguished citizens arrested and then ordered that they would be executed shortly after his death so that all of Jerusalem would mourn. I mean, is this guy uh, an egotist or what? Uh, let's just kill a bunch of people so that everyone's in mourning after I die. Wow. Um, his most barbaric act was the slaughter of all the male children who were born in Bethlehem and in all of its districts from two years old and under because where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, that's what he's basically known for as far as we're concerned. Um, Bethlehem was not a, it was not a Belleville, okay? It wasn't even Fairview Heights or Swansea. It was a small little town, but let's understand something. A small little town, maybe a few hundred people. And among a few hundred people, you have all age groups, so maybe there's a dozen children that ultimately are born in that group. And, oh man, let's make, make it two dozen. And so they come through. Standard statistics is 50-50, girls, boys. So he might have killed about 12 kids. Now, I'm not making light of it. I'm trying to help you see, in reality, this is what happened, and that is the most barbaric thing that he did. 
He killed all these other people? Oh, well. Killing children, hmm. That seems to hold a special place in God's eye. He, he said, you know, if you offend a little one, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. It would be better if you had never been born. And he thought it was a good day to go out and kill a bunch of two-year-olds or younger. So with that in mind, we see that the wise men from the east, this is where the Parthians come in. If I can get my pages apart, someone put glue in them, no. Uh, <laughs> the middle-aged tradition about the wise men is there are three kings representing the three sons of Noah. Uh, we have uh, Caspar, Balthazar, and Melchior. And of course, one of them uh, is pictured as an Ethiopian. Uh, you need to understand something. Uh, it might be true. Well, they're probably not kings. They're wise men. It might be representatives of the three sons of Noah, uh, and one of them may be African-American from the perspective that we use today. Uh, the reality is, is we don't know. So, biblically, well, we know they came from the east. Literally, uh, coming from the east means from the rising. So when you think of where the sun rises, yeah, that's it. It's, it's over there someplace, <laughs> okay? Uh, the Magi were known as a priestly political class of the Parthians or the Persians. They were skilled in astronomy and astrology. Uh, they were monotheistic with a sacrificial system similar to the one that was given to Moses. Hmm. Uh, they had various occult practices, including sorcery. Uh, they are especially noted for their ability to interpret dreams. Where, uh, it's where we get the word magician. They had combined knowledge of math, science, agriculture, history, and the occult. Their religious and political influence continued to grow until they became the most influential advisors in the Babylonian and Medo-Persian empires. Uh, these might be, in today's thinking, closer to our lobbyists. Our lobbyists, you know, the ones that are constantly paying our congressmen to make uh, rules that benefit their companies. That's basically kind of, I mean, yeah, our lobbyists don't interpret dreams. They don't use occultic practices that we know of. But they, they were the guys behind the scene. They were not the bigwigs, okay? Uh, their question for Herod was, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Uh, it's apparently when they arrived in town, the word saying, where is he? Uh, that is a present part of a participle, which means they were going around to anybody and everybody that would listen to him and saying, hey, where's he who's been born king of the Jews? And ultimately that uh, brings attention of Herod and they end up in the court where they can ask the question again. Okay, At the time, there was great expectation of the arrival of a great king, a deliverer. Um, Josephus says it this way, the Jews believed that one of their country would soon become ruler of the habitable world. Um, I don't know about you, but when you think about how Israel handled Jesus, what were they looking for? They were looking for someone to arrive. He arrived. Now, that's not the one we want. Okay? Now, now why is that important to think about? Because if Jesus were to come back today and come to American evangelical churches, 
Can I say I'm not sure that he would be as well accepted as we think we would accept him? Because I'm not sure he would fit the expectation. He was a pretty controversial guy. Now, I'm not trying to be controversial in the sense of uh, so many churches today that are trying to uh, open up the door for all kinds of sin, activity, and stuff like that. I'm just saying that uh, he was not what we've kind of made him to be. Yes, he was loving. He was gracious, compassionate. He demonstrated what God is really like because he's God. Okay. Uh, very often when we look at the Old Testament, we think of God as being kind of angry. And uh, when we look at the New Testament, we say, well, you know, he's gracious and loving, compassionate. Uh, I'll ask people on a regular basis, you know, if you were to die today, why should God let you into heaven? And uh, they will tell me, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. And, you know, I think my good has kind of outweighed my bad. And, and therefore, you know, I go, what if you weren't good enough? Well, then I guess I'd ask him to forgive me. And you know that sound that they play in hockey games? That's what I do. I go, nope, sorry, that, that's not good enough. It's not going to work at that point. Okay? Yes, God is a forgiving God. His forgiveness is based on something. And if you're willing to live your life without that something all your life, don't expect that all of a sudden... He's going to bend rules, okay? Uh, so when we look at this, um, they were expecting something. We're expecting that Jesus is coming back. And I'm not fearful, but I'm concerned that part of our reason for that looking forward to is not a whole lot different than the Jews of this day. They were looking for someone that was going to deliver them from Rome. I think sometimes we're looking for the rapture because then Jesus can deliver us from Bidenomics or, or Trump syndrome or, or any number of other political issues, the difficulties of this life. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Uh, excuse me, God, I want comfort. We'll do the tribulation thing another time. And he's saying, guess again. So they were expecting a king, a ruler. Number six, the evidence for the question. For we have seen his star in the east. Uh, we don't know how they knew the king of the Jews had been born. All they had was a star. In the Old Testament, God's glory was manifested as light, God radiating his presence, we call it the Shekinah, in form of indescribable light. In the New Testament, the best example we have of that is uh, Matthew chapter 17, Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration of Christ. Uh, all of a sudden, he starts to glow, shine, and uh, the disciples that were there, three of them, they kind of had to bow their head because, whoa, this is something. And so uh, pastor uh, preached on that a few years back and said, I believe the star was the Shekinah. Well, in doing some research, uh, I've seen where some people think it's the North Star, and I don't know about you, but I know that's supposed to be the brightest star. You can see the North Star here. I usually have to get my phone out and uh, plug in the little app that uh, tells me where the stars are, and I'll point it in the... Oh, there it is. 
Not very bright. In fact, Jupiter's brighter than that. I mean, Saturn's brighter than that. Uh, but they, they think it's the North Star. To, to be honest with you, there's a couple reasons why, okay, you're over here, it's happening over here, and the North Star is going to direct you there. Now, don't think so. Plus, later on, it appears again and leads them from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. Now, it's only a five-mile walk, but North Star didn't do that. So uh, we think that's the Shekinah glory. Number seven, their motivation. We have come to worship him. I know many of you are working in Awana. Uh, some of you may be working, period. Uh, and therefore, our Wednesday night uh, group is relatively small. We've been going through a book by Miles Stanford called The Complete Green Letters. And one of the things that we've seen in that book, as well as in my own studies in the book of Romans and uh, now in Proverbs. God didn't save you so that you go to heaven. God saved you so that you would be a new person called the children of God, ultimately to be called the sons of God. He saved you to get you on the page where your life that's been bought with a price would be used to honor and glorify Him. And not only that, you'd enjoy Him in the process. See, heaven is, and I've used this illustration before, I know you've heard it, heaven's kind of like a layover. When I fly down to Brazil, I end up in either Atlanta or Miami. I guess you can go to Houston. I don't know why. But uh, you end up in uh, G Georgia or Florida, and uh, you wait for about 12 hours, so you can get on a plane about 9 o'clock at night, because you're going to arrive in Sao Paulo somewhere around 6 a.m., and uh, they want you to sleep all the way, which never works for me. <laughs> but uh, uh, Miami and Georgia or, or Atlanta are not my destination. It's a layover. You wait for the next thing to happen, okay? Sao Paulo is not my final destination. There, I have to run across their very large airport and uh, hop on another plane. And that brings me up to Mato Grosso, where I'm in Cuiabá. That's the final destination. The layover is a place you hang out and wait. Heaven, now, it's not to take away from the majesty of it, but it's not our final destination. It's a place where we get to hang out and wait for the next event. At which point we get to come back here with him and then rule and reign with him. See, they came to worship. So often in today's day and age, worship has become the feeling that I have when we sing that song that just touches my heart. <laughs> And as soon as the song is done and we leave here, get into traffic especially. Worship, out the door. That's not worship. Worship is where you're showing forth the worth of that one that you're worshiping. It is when you're living in obedience in spite of a, a dingbat boss that doesn't know as much as you do about what's going on and yet, he's telling you to do things that are only going to ruin it. 
Or you're with an unbelieving spouse that is treating you not so nicely. You're still living like Christ lived. That, that's worship. You're at school, and the teacher doesn't like you, and maybe you deserve some of that, but you're trying to worship Jesus as a student. So you don't give the teacher what you'd like to give the teacher. <laughs> you act as the kind of person that Christ would want you to act. That's worship. See, they came to worship. They, they, they weren't looking for, you know, something out of the picture. They were recognizing He is the one. And they bowed down. Okay, so that brings us to point number two. Herod's antagonism, verses 3 to 8. Herod's anxiety, we see in verse 3, it says, When Herod heard, uh, had heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Notice he's troubled. Uh, Herod was sitting on a religious and political power, powder keg there in Israel. Uh, he had driven the Parthians out of Palestine 40 years previously, and now they're back. And it's kind of like, oh man, this is not going to go well. Many Jews were rebelling at that time. They're protesting, if you will. Uh, they're, uh, they wanted their land back from the Romans. Again, they're looking for a king that's going to deliver them from Rome, not that's going to put them in a right relationship with God. His jealousy couldn't handle the possible competition. What do you mean, born king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. That kind of a thing. And it goes on to say, and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Look, if Herod was a pro has a problem, how will that affect the life of everyone else? Uh, <laughs> I know people don't like talking about politics, but read your Bible and look at what's going on. You know what I mean? Uh, if you don't speak the way we want you to speak... If you don't say the things we want you to say, if you don't go along with the agenda that we have, it's going to be a problem for you. Nothing new under the sun, guys. Okay? So people will recognize, man, if Herod has a problem, how will that affect my life? And, and not only that, but if this thing gets out of hand, Rome's going to have a problem. And if Rome has a problem, how will that affect the life of everyone here? See, Again, we like our comfort. Just, you know, tell us what to do, let us do it, and let us be comfortable. Letter B, Herod's response, verse 4a. It says, So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. Gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. The chief priests were from the tribe of Levi. There was a high priest. He was supposed to serve for life, kind of like a Supreme Court judge, uh, but they can retire, right? And then we get to put somebody else in there. Well, the same thing was happening here. Uh, the high priest was the only one that could ever go into the Holy of Holies, usually went in there about Yom Kippur, uh, October 7th, I believe, this past year. Uh, this year uh, was that time. Um, and uh, in the time of Christ, political favoritism and bribery allowed for more than one alive at a time to be high priest. You might remember in the, uh, in the time of Christ's crucifixion, you had Caiaphas and Annas. Uh, they were trading places, being the high priest from year to year. Uh, that's not the way God designed it. 
but that's how things work out. Uh, and uh, the high priest also ruled over the Sanhedrin. The scribes, they were primarily Pharisees, though there were some Sadducees among them. Uh, they were the authorities on the Jewish law, the scripture, and tradition. Uh, it's amazing how many lawyers are in Congress, right? Uh, maybe a few less lawyers and a few more mechanics uh, would make it work better. I don't know. Uh, letter A, they were often referred to as lawyers. Uh, they, recognize, they were recognized as key scholars of religious Judaism. And those that were Sadducees were liberal, and they didn't believe in the supernatural, angels, the resurrection, things like that. So even back then, they had a conservative and a liberal group. They weren't called Democrats and Republicans, but uh, those two were constantly going at it with each other. Uh, Herod's question for them in 4b uh, was where the Christ was going to be born, where the Messiah was going to be born, where the Savior was going to be born. Now, is that a problem? No, not at all. Because, notice letter D, their answer found in verses 5 and 6. Let me read it for you. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. So that's what they uh, said. This is, uh, it's a summary quote of Micah 5.2. Um, in uh, what they said, out of you will arise a ruler. Uh, the word there in the Greek is hegemon, a leader, a chief person of a province, a governor, a prince, a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. The word shepherd there, uh, poimino, I guess, something like that. It means to tend as a shepherd of or a supervisor of, to feed the cattle or to rule. Now, notice on your, uh, it's not on your outline, shame on me. Well, I didn't have room for it. Uh, Micah 5, 2 actually says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now, you catch that last part? The one that's going to arise out of Judah is someone that's been going to and fro forever, from everlasting. For those of you that are visiting, I think most of the other people here already know this, Satan, Lucifer, had a beginning. He was created. And he was really some creation. The one who created him is the one that has been goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. He'd been around forever and ever and ever. Now, I don't know about you, but time happens when creation happens. Before that, there is no time. We call that eternity past. For you, it'd be back here, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the reality is, is there's no time. So how do you describe no time with a time word? Exactly. Forever. Everlasting. <laughs> okay. Um, that's Micah 5, too. Now, Herod's agenda in verses 7 to 8. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. 
So first part of the agenda, gathered info. He secretly called the wise men to determine from them what time the star appeared. Now, this is one of the reasons why people think that this may be as late as two years later because what does Herod do with the information? He says, go kill all the male children two years and younger. So they might have told him the star appeared two years earlier. I kind of struggle with that because if you were to walk from Maine to California, would it take you two years? Now, I'm not asking could you take two years to do it. I'm saying would it take two years? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. But I'm not sure that it took two years for them to uh, ride horses or camels from Persia over to Bethlehem. Maybe he's covering two years because I just want to be safe. I want to make sure I get him. I don't know, okay? But he's getting this information from them because he has a purpose. His deception, go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. I'm amazed at how many people tell me the reason why God should let them into heaven is because they have a good heart. And I say, well, as far as God's concerned, no, you don't. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Even we, after we're born again and we're given a new heart, we can deceive our own selves by being a hearer of the word and not a doer of it. Hmm, tells you something. One of the things we have to be careful of, and in this day and age, uh, both in the political, the media area, as well as in the religious area, got to be careful of deception. Not only those that are preaching, but of your own understanding of things. Proverbs says that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart, not leaning on our own understanding. Why? Because if we judge things according to our five senses and some idea that we have of ourselves in the spiritual uh, realm, we're probably going to come to some wrong conclusions. So you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. I don't know about you, but developing the habit of getting up in the morning to, despite how much something may hurt, saying, Okay, Lord, thank you for another day. Please give me wisdom, <laughs> grace for whatever you got coming. Uh, that's a habit that's developed. I know pastors talked about it in the past, and I'm letting you know that I'm, I'm arriving there. Arriving. I haven't arrived. Okay. But it is one of those things where we, we need to get away from this idea that I'm okay, and I don't need to talk to God at this time. When I need it, I know he'll be there for me because that will not get you very far in life when it comes to spiritual realities. And your life is full of spiritual realities. Every time you have a conflict with your spouse, with your children, you have a theological problem. Now, it may be their problem, but you have one. You have to deal with it. It's a spiritual reality. Boy, don't we need God all the time. Jesus put it this way. Without me, you can do nothing. 
Just something to think about. Don't be deceived. Number three, the adoration of the Magi. Verses 9 and 10, we see the star's reappearance. If it was the North Star, it had been there every single night. But after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. So notice, uh, when they heard the king, they departed. The star which they had seen in the east went before them. I, I mean, this is a wandering star, apparently. No, again, God is the one that is bringing them. He has a purpose for all of this, and they're a part of it. And so he actually leads them. And of course, it says, till it came and stood over the house where the young child was. Okay? When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. Now, one of the things you'll see in the Bible very often is it'll give you an overview, and then it tells you something that actually happened back here. So they see the star, they have great joy, then they follow it. It ends up over uh, Jesus' house and cool. Okay, so that latter part, they were happy. I, I've been saved for 41 years, and when I first got saved, I was dealing with a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness. And uh, when I got into the church, I, I found there were a lot of people dealing with a lot of bitternesses. Usually it was with one another, which hmm, you can see why the world sometimes has troubles with us. I understand that. Okay, But the reality is, is what I found as I grew up in the Lord was uh, we Christians, we, we like to use spiritual words. Joy. You know what joy is? It's happiness. That's what it is. Uh, Christians would like to say, well, joy is that feeling that you can have in spite of your circumstances because it's always so bad. How many people want to be happy? Well, there's a couple dozen of you out there, okay? The reality is, is God does not have a problem with us being happy. Yes, he wants our happiness derived from our relationship with him. In Ephesians 5, it says, be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes on to say, speaking to yourselves. Are you allowed to talk to yourself? Yes, you just can't answer. No, uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's joy. That's happiness. And sometimes we have bad weeks, and it's visible when you're up here looking out at the family. You can see where, whoop, they must have had a hard week this week. Something to pray about, okay? But the reality is, is here we are, the Word of God, God revealing something to us. We take joy in it. It's good stuff, okay? So they were happy. Uh, letter B, their arrival at the house in verse 11. Uh, let me see, verse 11 says, Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I always want to say gold, silver, and precious stone, but that's another passage. Uh, so uh, notice, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, uh, possibly as much as a toddler, as much as two years old. Uh, they fell down. They worshipped him. Again, this whole concept of 
in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid, but is to have this respect. He's God, and I'm not. I don't know if, uh, if you've had children. You know that at a certain point in life, they have to come to an understanding that they're not God. It's usually, you know, between 12 and 18 months old. Maybe it's earlier than that. Uh, and you have to teach them that lesson. Usually it's because you're bigger than them. They think that that's the only reason why you're getting away with it. But if you let them go by the time they're teenagers, they definitely need to find out that they're not God. And usually the rebukes of life might teach them that. God is God. Uh, we, uh, the word awesome, we throw that around. You know, that special you sang was awesome. Bananas are awesome. Awesome really only works for one person, for God. He's awesome. He speaks worlds into existence. He loves people so much that he sent his son to die and pay for their sins, the very sins that he would have condemned them for. So if you will, we're being saved from God by God. He's pretty awesome. The Bible teaches that his, uh, love, his loving kindness is everlasting and his mercies are new every morning. He knows what you're going to go through. He knows what your response is going to be already. And yet, there he is with some more mercy. Wow. So they worshipped him. Um, they fell down and worshipped him, and when they had opened their treasures, so apparently uh, after they spent some time in his presence, they probably uh, had their servants get the boxes off of the camels or off of the donkeys or whatever uh, was carrying them, bring them in, and then uh, number two here, they presented gifts to him. And I meant to uh, look up Psalm 72.10 and Isaiah 60, uh, verse 6. Please take an opportunity, underline those. Go look them up. It is kind of amazing uh, because it specifically speaks to this uh, uh, story a little bit. Uh, they were giving the most precious of metals. <clears throat> the gifts that they gave were the, uni- uh, uh, excuse me, gold being the most precious of metals. It was a universal symbol for wealth. Even today, uh, what do they try and talk you into daily on the radio? But invest in gold. When everything falls apart, the gold that you do not have, you just have little pieces of paper that say you own some, uh, you will be able to trade with someone else. I'm not sure that's true, but you know, uh, people do try and buy gold and, and cool, uh, but don't let the government know you have too much of it. It's a universal symbol of wealth. It is also a symbol of royalty. Uh, you can see that in uh, Genesis 42, 4, 1 Kings 10, 1 to 13. So therefore, gold is going to be representative of his royalty. He's a king. Frankincense, a costly, beautiful-smelling incense. My wife got me some frankincense soap, and she loves it after I've taken a shower because I smell like frankincense. I'm not sure what I smell like before the shower, but frankincense is a beautiful-smelling incense. It is only used for the most special occasions 
If I know I don't have to go to work and I'm going to be working outside, I don't take that shower, and by the time I do, I need the frankincense, <laughs> okay? It is used in grain offerings, according to Leviticus 2.2 2 and verses 15 through 16. It is also used in certain royal processions, Song of Solomon 3, 6, and 7. I think we've started Song of Solomon in our scripture reading uh, this week, uh, maybe last week. Um, it is called the incense of deity and therefore represents his deity. So now he is royalty and deity. He is king and he is God. And then myrrh. Myrrh is a perfume. It is mentioned often in scripture. Um, it is mixed with wine to be used as an anesthetic in Mark 15, uh, 23. It is mixed with other spices to be used in preparation for burial. In John 19, 39, Nicodemus brought a bunch of uh, myrrh uh, to um, use as a kind of like a coating on the uh, cloth that Jesus was wrapped in. And it represents Christ's humanity. So he is king. He is God. He is human. Their departure in verse 12, it says, And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So, divine warning. God doesn't want them being a part of what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen, so he warns them. And... Uh, they departed to their own country another way. So instead of taking 70, they took 64, and uh, then somewhere in rush had to go north on something else, you know, that kind of a thing. Not exactly sure how that worked out, but uh, God does. So our application. Who will you be like? Now, most of you aren't like Herod, but can we say that because Herod's a part of the story and the, the possibility of repentance is always there. Those that are like Herod, uh, again, maybe most of them are in politics or part of some group that is behind the scenes, who knows. Herod was worried about uh, someone else getting control, getting glory. And I, I can tell you that even among us peons, peons compared to Herod, uh, that is a concern for people, even in the church. Someone else being in control of things. We got this thing with control. We believe that God is sovereign until something happens to us. Then obviously he has fallen off the throne and I need to get back in control. I? <laughs> Whoa, be careful there, right? But it is one of those things that uh, is a problem. And then glory. Remember several years back, uh, a sports star said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. Yeah, uh, the problem with that whole concept is where is the la where's the humility? It is amazing what some people can do in the sports arena or any other um, skill or talent that they may have. It is amazing. God is amazing because He's the one that made us so that we could do those things. And what is uh, oh, I think it was it's one of the proverbs. Maybe it's one of the Psalms that says. What do you have that you did not receive? Okay? So uh, we don't need any glory. Uh, we need to recognize where we got whatever. And so you can be like Herod. 
or you can be like all the people that were with him. We find a lot of people in our country today, and I'm sure in other countries that fit into this category. They're worried about how leadership may affect their life. I'll be honest with you, uh, even as Christians, we are affected by whatever wonderful person is uh, in office at the time, right? And sometimes we look at who's in office and we get all concerned about it. Because again, God is in complete control of everything until it affects my life. And obviously he has fallen off the throne and we need to worry because that will fix things. So you can be like Herod, you can be like all the people. Or here's another problem that Christian people have. You can be like the chief priests and the scribes. You can know the truth, but not that it's going to affect your life. I remember when I first got saved, I have eight brothers and sisters, halves, steps, real ones. Not the other ones aren't real, they're just halves and steps, you know what I mean. And I went around starting sharing Jesus with everybody I could, including all my brothers and sisters. I remember one sister, I had a little Gideon's New Testament, and I'm sharing Christ with her, and I'm trying to show her the verse. And she reaches over and she just closes the book. And it's kind of like, ain't going to do you any good. I got all these verses memorized. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sharing Christ with them. And a few months later, uh, I met my wife, picked her up on the side of the road, another story, and uh, uh, brought her home to meet the family. And, well, you know, you grow up a little bit, you realize they don't have ears to hear at this time. They thought that the Christianity that I was a part of, it was a stage that I was going through. And I was told, don't be a fanatic. Well, when I came back, I wasn't a fanatic. Now, I wasn't a fanatic not because I was worried about what they'd think or say. I wasn't a fanatic because don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn and rend you. Uh, my family had no interest. God had not done that work yet. There was no reason to keep on pushing that button. And uh, one of my sisters goes, wow, you really have mellowed him out. The last time he was here, he was sending all of us to hell. I wasn't sending anybody to hell. I was letting them know there is a hell and people are going to go there and I don't want you to go. This is how you cannot go. But that's how they saw it. But uh, again, among Christians, I see, you know, we have the truth. And therefore, if you want to know the truth, you know, just ask me and I'll tell you. But it's just about me having the truth, doing the things I'm supposed to do, and that's about as far as it goes. Um, many people in their spiritual walk, they come to a plateau where I'm comfortable. This is good. I hope I won't fall too far if I fall, but this is a nice place to be. Well, if you think about it with me for just a minute, there is foolishness in all three of those groups. Yeah, we look at Herod and say, wow, what a fool. Look what he did. The people that are only worried about how life affects them. Foolish. The chief priests, ultimately, they're the real bad guys, but here, hey, they know the truth. Supposedly, people are looking for this ruler. 
But to get out of my comfort zone and actually go down to Bethlehem and look for him? Nah. Foolish. Then you have the wise men. The wise men can be described this way. Maybe they don't know much, but they can follow God's leading. I gotta figure out what I said here. <laughs> uh, to give yourself only. Oh, I. They can follow God's leading and give themselves and everything they have to the one that gave it to them. I, I don't know about you, but I don't consider myself to be a great orator. You know, uh, Barack Obama was always called a, a great speaker. I've heard some great speakers. He, he wasn't one of them. And that's not to put him down. He did fine for reading the little teleprompter in front of him. Okay? But when you believe something, can I say you probably don't need a teleprompter? I, I know you'd like us to, as preachers to have a teleprompter so we'd know when it was done and we'd get finished. Uh, I recognize that. Um, but, but the reality is, is having heard some great speakers, I, I can tell you that he was okay, okay? I don't consider myself to be a great speaker. I think if you were to ask pastor, he'd probably say the same thing about himself. It's not a matter of being a great speaker. It's a matter of, Lord, with what you've given to me, it's yours. Use me. How are we going to do it? For me, so often, it seems to be on a Thursday morning when I have people come in here, they're looking for a little bit of help on their electric bill or their water bill, and I get to talk to them about Jesus. Uh, I, I know when they leave here, chances are they're going to forget most of what I said and uh, that kind of thing. But the reality is, is uh, God's given me the ability to share the gospel in such a way that it's clear, understandable, and now you have to do something with the information you've been given. Okay? Why do I do that? Because that's the ability that is given to me. My life belongs to Him. I don't always get that one down. There are times when I, like anybody else, we all believe in the sovereignty of God until it affects us. Someone cuts me off in traffic, and I'd like to be very friendly with them. You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, the reality is, is the wise men, they may not have known much, but they were willing to follow God's leading and, and give themselves and everything they had to Him. In reading some of the things that I've been reading lately, uh, some A.W. Tozer and, and some other books, when we talk about worship, that recognition of his worth, he's God and I'm not. But in his being God, he has chosen to save me. Not only save me from the condemnation that would have been mine, but to put his life within me, his spirit within me, to give me his word. And you can ask pastor about this also. The reality is, is we're still searching. We're still learning stuff. We are still amazed with the God that we have met. And I hope that you will be like these wise men. And continue to search, following God's leading. Don't get, don't get comfortable with your Christianity. Because the reality is, is when you get comfort, your spiritual life starts going, 
And it's just a matter of time before your flesh is going to be in charge. And you're going to wonder, what happened? Well, what happened was you forgot who came, what he did for you. So be a wise man. Continue to search. Continue to learn. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come this morning with, again, praise and thanksgiving. You have done so much so that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. I think every one of your children here have experienced that that to some measure. I would ask, Lord, that you would give us grace to be like these wise men, to continue to search until we find, to ask until we receive, to become uh, the children that you've called us to be for your honor and glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You might remember back in the Christmas story, you had some other guys that were able to come to the manger, the shepherds. Uh, The shepherds were not an appreciated group because they hung around with sheep. And I don't know about you, but sheep smell. Ask Jeff. Yeah, they, 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 you need frankincense. Uh, wash them in that frankincense soap I have. Let's see what happens. But uh, the, the reality is, is these guys are shocked and surprised. An angel shows up and says, hey, got some good news for you. And uh, so they went. They saw the, the child. And then it says they went everywhere. They, they went to the mountains. They went everywhere telling everybody. Uh, one of the difficulties we've seen in the church is we've kind of stopped doing that so much. Um, What will people think? Um, People don't like me when I do that, and and I'm afraid. Those are various excuses. Uh, Consider with me before you go. And who will harm you if you are deeply committed to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Blessed is, oh, how very happy. That's basically what it means. You're happy. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And it goes on to say, however, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame whole point being is, brothers and sisters, we've been given a great gift in the Savior coming, in the Savior opening our eyes and giving us that free gift of eternal life. And when we're walking with Him, one of the things that's going to happen, you're going to be telling people about that gift. They may look at you and say, you, you, you kind of smell. Yeah, we're the scent of life to those who are alive, and we're the scent of death to those who are dead. So Christmas is so much more than gifts underneath the tree. It is a reminder that one came so that you might shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for the gift. We ask that uh, this gift, this life that you've given us, would shine. And even if that means our life will not be comfortable, that we may shine in a way that's honoring and glorifying to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.